0: This is the Communication Research Podcast, a production of the Communication Research Center at Boston University. This podcast is a colloquium talk by Professor Dennis Wu entitled. Journalism and Public Relations in the News Media of Taiwan. Thank you, Michael, and thank you, uh, Nina, for your invitation to uh, have this opportunity to talk about this important and interesting topic. I'd also like to acknowledge the contribution of uh, Cheryl Lambert. Uh, She has... uh, Help me uh, to gather the uh, literature about uh, populations. So uh, we often assume that uh, press freedom can only be endangered in, in a non-democratic society. Uh, but uh, this kind of assumption can be uh, a little bit uh, uh, challenged uh, because uh, we have seen that uh, press freedom can also be in jeopardy in a democratic uh, society. Uh, so. Uh, in a democracy, uh, oftentimes we assume that uh, press uh, should be managed in a very capitalistic way. Uh, so profit is pursued and a uh, media company can make a profit. And so that's uh, the uh, sort of the model we are familiar with. So the basic thing about this thing is that uh, press freedom can also be challenged, can also be in danger uh, in a democratic society, in this case, Taiwan. Um, when the media companies pursued profits, uh, in the process of uh, pursuing maximum profits, uh, the media may up to sacrifice their uh, conventional tenants, and they may um, let the sponsors uh, call the tune. In other words, the advertisers, uh, the political entities, media owners, and the one percent that uh, uh, you know, they control the sort of the uh, capital flow of a society, uh, control the information that, we, we, that uh, we consume on a daily basis. So that's the second point uh, to make uh, for the reason to uh, produ- pursue this research. And another interesting thing about this case is that uh, the line that uh, demarcates the different professions, you know, the populations uh, and uh, journalists seems to be blurry uh, you know <coughs> we often hear that uh, some populations uh, practitioners are actually uh, former journalists but uh, we didn't know that uh, uh, journalists can also practice uh, populations at the same time but thank you um, so this is another interesting phenomenon that drew me to investigate this kind of phenomenon and the most ex- extreme case that uh, I can find is this a convergent model uh, that uh, basically is the overlap between the two professions so populations and journalism are in one so what exactly is this convergent model Um, basically uh, the first attribute of this is that the news professionals act as populations practitioners they serve uh, their clients only they don't necessarily have the public interest in mind they have abandoned their role of social social responsibility they do not uh, necessarily think that uh, their role is to serve the general public Uh, as long as the money is right, as long as the price is right they are willing to work for any clients that uh, their news organizations uh, solidify and another major difference is that as opposed to sort of individual efforts Uh, that you often hear that uh, some journalists would be willing to take some uh, monetary incentives and so forth. Uh, This sort of individual case, uh, in this Taiwan case, the organization, the media company, uh, pursued this systematic organization-wide effort to um, encourage and uh, require their reporters to pursue this kind of case. And so, uh, owners and managers of media actually require their editors and uh, reporters to pursue cases to to pursue benefits and uh, profits for the news organizations. So uh, in some cases, some of the raises and bonuses of the news staff uh, can can actually be based on convergent initiations and also convergent uh, executions. So if uh, those cases are not successful, they probably may not get the raises or bonuses uh, uh, for the, uh, the new step. Another point uh, that differentiates convergent practice from other uh, similar models is that uh, this is actually uh, based on formal contracts. So the sponsors of the projects and news media actually have formal contracts. It's a business model rather than individually-based model. And another point that I'd like to make here is that journalists also act as salespersons uh, because they often have very good network and their news organizations actually um, encourage them to uh, rely on their networks to pursue projects so that uh, these kind of conversion models can be uh, practiced. And the last one that uh, differentiates uh, this model from other model is that uh, the promotional content actually is entirely embedded in editorial content without distinct labels we often hear about editorials in which um, advertising copy uh, is packaged as uh, editorial content but usually there is a label on top or the bottom that says this is paid for by a certain entity or this is advertising but in this case this is purely editorial content that has advertising component in it. So that's a major difference from other uh, ideas. And uh, the most uh, interesting thing about this practice is that uh, there is very little law or policy that can govern this kind of practice. And we will be talking about this later. So um, First, I'd like to give you some examples to show how this kind of convergent model can be practiced. Um, in 2011, there was uh, a series of uh, floral exhibitions. Uh, they were done in Taipei. Uh, the city government and the local newspaper teamed up to promote these uh, exhibitions. And uh, um, it was said that uh, um, millions and millions of dollars were spent on this newspaper. And as a um, Consequence, the newspapers were required to run several stories on their front page and section front. And all the stories have to be positive. It can be events, it can be features, and it can be something interesting so that uh, uh, people will uh, buy the tickets to go to those uh, events. So that's one example. And some uh, interviewees actually say that the newspaper actually uh, uh, started to co sponsor some events. And uh, they actually share the profits out of the uh, events. So that's uh, one model. Another example that I heard uh, from some of the participants uh, was about the uh, investment opportunities in China that were uh, predominantly covered in one newspaper. And as a matter of fact, those stories are um, sort of uh, uh, stories that were bought or purchased by different levels of Chinese government from central to provincial governments, they wanted to uh, sort of uh, uh, invite investors from Taiwan to uh, go to, to China to invest in real estates or some factories. And so uh, these kind of uh, stories can be on the front page. It can be on section fund. As long as the price is right, they are willing to run it. So this is the, uh, another example that I'm going to share with you. And the third example uh, was um, a uh, uh, sort of a uh, 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 the Department of Agriculture uh, in Taiwan, which was uh, criticized by the opposition party, and uh, their budget was threatened to be slashed completely. And so the the minister of the department decided to buy stories uh, in the newspapers and the news media. So uh, some of the interviewees said that uh, they actually uh, were in charge of the stories, uh, in in charge of the the task by uh, pursuing some successful stories that uh, the department has been um, involved in and so uh, some of the uh, stories were uh, to talk about the the benefits of this department and some of the success uh, that uh, the department was involved. So ironically, the taxpayers' money was used to persuade the taxpayers about uh, the um, contribution of the uh, Department of uh, Agriculture. So that's uh, some of examples to show you uh, how severe and how intricate the uh, business model can be. So I think it's a good idea to sort of trace back uh, to see what the communication literature talk about this kind of. Uh, idea or this uh, similar concept and uh, we probably need to go back to Shoemaker and Ree's, uh, book Mediating a Message in which they identify several uh, different levels of influence on news content and they identify the government are the uh, most influential sources of any news copy. Uh, governments are often perceived as most credible, uh, they are readily uh, available and uh, they are very good at preparing copy and the releases for uh, news media so they are identified as a primary source there are other uh, sources from outside of the media organizations including advertisers Uh, when they see something they don't like they stop sponsoring. if they see something that's not friendly to them they will boycott so for example in the 80s and 90s you see a lot of tobacco companies uh, that uh, threaten to uh, Stop uh, sponsoring some shows or some uh, content. So that's uh, what happened. And uh, population releases often are uh, picked up by news media, uh, especially in the news media that are not financially sound. They would uh, particularly pursue uh, populations copies because it's uh, most uh, um, uh, cost effective and it's cheaper <coughs> to pursue that kind of uh, stories. In other cases, um, in sporadic cases in the U.S., uh, uh, scholars and uh, some articles have found that uh, some uh, reporters have teamed up with the government to promote certain policies. Uh, for example, Julius Miller of New York Times, Maggie Gallagher, and also Armstrong Williams. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, particularly Armstrong Williams was found to uh, pay about uh, Two hundred forty thousand dollars. If I am getting it right, trying to get the specific uh, figures, should have more. Should be more. <laughs> should be more. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, it's a two hundred forty thousand dollars to promote uh, the policy of no child left behind, and he was later. Uh, sort of uh, uh, fired by uh, several uh, news uh, organizations and uh, stepped down from his original post. But basically GAO found uh, Williams guilty and uh, reported to uh, the news media. Um, So that's uh, sort of another example to show you that uh, this kind of uh, uh, practice actually is being executed in the US even though it's not systematic. Uh, Chirou and uh, Lisa, um, they also found that uh, in uh, media conglomerates, uh, cross promotion is very evident. So, um, you know, in this idea, uh, you see that a lot of the uh, news organizations will promote uh, products that are produced uh, within the same umbrella. So, for example, um, ABC News would talk about uh, new cultural products that are produced by Disney and uh, they talk about dancing with the stars all the time in the morning. Uh, this is a sort of a similar idea to uh, Synergy. Okay. So uh, to continue on the literature, Bela uh, Subramanian, uh, you know, it's a very hard to pronounce that uh, word, but uh, he's probably the first person who identified uh, this kind of idea that uh, editorial content can be uh, perceived as more credible, and so advertisers and uh, um, uh, some um, entities would like to uh, sort of uh, sponsor that kind of message, and so that is called uh, a hybrid message. Another uh, group of media, uh, scholars, uh, they focus more on uh, the uh, local media, and they discover that uh, local media tend to use PR copy more than national counterparts. And the reason is probably because our uh, local media do not have as much resource and the uh, budget to pursue stories. Uh, in Europe, Nevin uh, Skate found that in Lithuania, uh, paid articles or editorials advert- are heavily used. In another European country, uh, Slovenia, nearly half of the newspapers were found to contain covert advertising and uh, uh, another scholar unveiled hybrid discourse in news stories and advice columns. So uh, similar ideas are actually executed in Europe as well. So it's not just Taiwan, the US, uh, other European countries uh, found similar practices. So uh, in order to put those different terms and practices into a frame, uh, we saw two Uh, dimensions to delineate these uh, different practices I came up with uh, this idea to uh, see whether uh, those practices can be explained with whether the content is being paid for and whether the content is actually prepared by journalists themselves so if we use this kind of a frame then you can see that there are four different kinds of practices that are possible so the convergence model actually uh, is based on this idea that the content is being paid for, and also the content is actually prepared by journalists. For uh, conventional news, you can see that the content is not paid for, but uh, it's also prepared by journalists. Uh, and the PR release, of course, is not paid for, uh, but it's not prepared by journalists. And information subsidy is a sort of a gray area. Uh, you never know whether the information is actually paid for, or. Um, sort of the avenues to get the information is covered. So it's very uh, great, but uh, you can basically see that uh, they, uh, the, the media probably get some uh, financial incentives and so forth. Uh, so that's uh, basically the four kinds of scenarios. Uh, but if we, we, if we put all of those uh, practices uh, into this chart, then covert advertising probably can be placed there in the star A. Uh, B is uh, for cross promotion because it's done um, in traditional uh, news environment uh, to promote other entities under the same umbrella. C is basically uh, bribe uh, that uh, was done to uh, change the content. Or um, in Indonesia there is a term for that, it's called envelope journalism. Basically uh, journalists were uh, given envelopes in which money is provided to pursue certain kind of stories. Uh, Number D uh, is hybrid message. So basically it could be uh, bought and it could be independently pursued by journalists. E is paid articles, Uh, it's very self clarifying F is promotional news, so it's uh, closer to convergence than other terms. G, public relations news. In other words, uh, content that is produced by PO agency is adopted by news uh, media. So uh, those are the uh, potential uh, similar terms that uh, we can find from the literature. So as I said earlier, uh, one of the areas that we should look at is ethics and laws. Uh, Usually laws are really behind the practice, and ethics are behind as well. So if you check out uh, the codes from SPJ and the PRSA, you see that uh, the convergent practice um, obviously is a violation of the codes. But uh, the uh, specific items uh, in the codes do not mention that. In Taiwan, the only major um, sort of law and policy regarding this is that uh, governmental agencies are not allowed to pay news uh, media to generate uh, so-called embedded marketing news. In other words, the news is bought by uh, the uh, sponsors. Uh, But very few teas actually are there. Uh, Sometimes even some agency uh, will violate this kind of specific uh, law or policy. And the uh, broadcasters are actually regulated and governed by NCC, and uh, this kind of um, governance is more stringent than the print counterpart, Uh, but the only so the downside of this is that NCC doesn't really systematically monitor uh, news content. They exclusively rely on audiences' complaint or whistleblowers. So that's uh, sort of the uh, downside of this. In the US, the only relevant laws are uh, the Consolidated Appropriations Act. Basically, it means that uh, uh, the um, funding generated from taxpayers cannot be used in propaganda and persuasion uh, domestically uh, but that kind of funding can be used in overseas. Another uh, sort of relevant law that uh, one can find is the Communications Act of 1934. Uh, this law is more relevant to broadcasters than to uh, print. Basically this law is regarding um, you know, the sponsor of broadcasting content. Uh, you need to uh, tell the readers or uh, audiences uh, where it come from. OK, so this is sort of the background and the literature. Uh, what I did was a qualitative study to interview uh, people who work in the news media. So I pursued in-depth and non-structured interviews with media professionals. Uh, so you know, roughly 20 of them, uh, and some of them are pre-media. Others are from broadcasters. Um, the questions are open, but uh, the, uh, the primary questions center on the scope of uh, convergent practices and uh, what kind of issues they think are relevant in this practice. Uh, confidentiality was promised because uh, there could be uh, some consequences that I don't want them to encounter. Also, uh, interviewer, um, me, uh, I think uh, it's important that uh, qualitative researchers confess about the scenarios in which uh, he, is, he or she is in and uh, as the custom I have to say that uh, as an outsider as an academic person uh, it seems to be conducive they are more likely to cooperate with uh, outsider and academic than insider uh, and the person who knows the industry well and after the interview was done uh, the Um, the recordings were uh, transcribed and thematic analysis was performed. So that was the method. Okay, now here are some of the main findings I found. Uh, It turns out this kind of convergent model is actually more rooted than I thought. Um, uh, Starting about ten years ago, uh, you know, the administration has already bought the uh, news in major news media in Taiwan. And when I first asked this kind of practice among the professionals, their response was not too surprising. They appeared that uh, they have experienced something like that before. And so uh, it's not offensive to them. Uh, and also, um, this kind of practice is uh, sort of it's institutionalized and sort of becomes part of the culture. Although I have to say that uh, this practice uh, varies from media to media. So, media are more likely to practice, others media are less likely to practice. Or they will tell me that they don't allow that to happen. Especially uh, uh, news magazines, they say that they don't allow that. Uh, Some uh, newspapers say that it's their policy that they don't allow convergence to take place. So it varies from media to media. Another major (coughs) finding that I um, come away with is that uh, there is a huge amount of anxiety, unhappiness, powerlessness, and alienation among the professionals. They are extremely, extremely angry and frustrated. Uh, One of them uh, say that, um, and I quote, the more conscientious a senior reporter is, the more pain he will have because there are so many unethical things one has to do on a daily basis. So it's a very uh, profound sentiment that I found from these interviews. Although some of them actually try to find justification as to how they conduct their daily business. So uh, there's this justification process. Some of them may even say, I try to make it meaningful. And uh, one of them say, I tried to make it a win-win-win situation. And I said, what does it mean? She said, I try to make it more informative, more juicy, more interesting, so that the audiences can find it beneficial. And so what's, what, I, what I asked was, what are the other two wins? Well, my news organization can benefit from it, and the sponsor will be happy about it. <laughs> so there's a you know, the justification. And this kind of uh, internalization process that's really alarming. (laughs) Um, Another point I'd like to make is this unhealthy competition among the media. um, Because um, there are so many uh, 24 7 news channels in Taiwan, about eight or seven non stop news channels, cable channels like CNN in Taiwan, for 23 million people. So it's really too crowded a marketplace. And so they some of them argue it's probably a good idea that the government do something uh, to control the number of channels so that the competition is more healthy. And uh, um, they all disclose this kind of profit-centered media culture. Uh, they do not talk that much about their social responsibility they do not talk that much about their roles that they are supposed to play Uh, they talk about money all the time Um, so it is not surprising that a lot of these uh, news media slash their international news bureaus Uh, one of the major newspapers only had three international correspondents one in Washington, one in Tokyo, and one in London that's it Um, And uh, one of the uh, reporters said to me that uh, when she wanted to uh, go to Japan to look at the tsunami uh, or go to North Korea to uh, see what the scene is like after their leader died, uh, their manager told her to find her own sponsors. What does that mean? She has to get advertisers Mm -hmm. or people who are willing to pay for the trip. So that's how bad it can be. Another interesting thing is this uh, packed journalism Um, because they don't have time to uh, dig in their own news or to investigate uh, something they are interested in. They basically follow other people's leads and one of the most uh, intriguing thing uh, that I found was that uh, um, in the uh, uh, morning uh, like uh, 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock you will hear uh, that uh, they basically follow that day's newspapers they virtually read newspapers for audiences uh, those news channels because they don't have news to report Uh, and also another interesting thing was that uh, they use news footage from YouTube, they use footage from security camera recordings and they use footage from taxi driver recordings so what does that mean? It's really trivial. It's really um, sort of uh, uh, put you know, into uh, scandals or human interest stories rather than uh, substantial and uh, hard news. So, this is the trend that is going on. <clears throat> Another source of influence on the content is from China. Um, as we know that uh, you know, China has become an economic superpower. It's a powerhouse. So it's got a lot of capital. And the one thing they have um, thought about is to uh, buy some uh, media in Taiwan. And so they have already done that. Uh, one of the uh, uh, major tycoons is this guy uh, called Tsai, uh, not related to Gerald Tsai Jr. or Ming Tsai, the local uh, chef based in Wellesley. But uh, he is a very uh, well-known tycoon that has bought quite a few media outlets in Taiwan. And uh, he has said something really um, sort of eye-opening recently uh, according to Washington Post because he was just uh, interviewed by the paper and I'd like to show you exactly what he said in the Washington uh, Post. He said, I want to point your um uh, direct your attention to the very first paragraph he says that uh, he denied Korean favor with Chinese officials to advance his business and uh, said he wants to only uh, only to help Taiwan get over its wariness of the mainland China is very democratic in lots of places lots of things are not what people outside think uh, he also add that uh, uh, the country is constantly moving forward while Taiwan progresses very slowly. This is not um, too surprising because his business base is in China but this is, this uh, paragraph I'm showing you is more alarming. Uh, that shows that he basically embraces the stance of China. He said that uh, um, you know basically Tiananmen square massacre doesn't really happen didn't really happen. Uh, he said that uh, uh, he was struck by the footage of a lone protester standing in front of uh, the PLA. Uh, we are all familiar with this scene. And he said that the fact that the man wasn't killed, he said, showed that uh, reports of a massacre were not true. So uh, this kind of uh, uh, mentality is uh, really alarming. And uh, based on my interviews, uh, several bosses of media Actually, have direct influence on the content. Uh, it's not uh, hands-free. Uh, it's really hands-on. Uh, so a lot of these bosses are sort of like a Rupert Murdoch. Uh, they would uh, um, lay off any editors or reporters as long as they see the reporting um, not beneficial to their company or not in line with their political stance. So uh, the, this kind of uh, influence is uh, out there. Another uh, subtle influence from China is uh, the managers or the uh, boss's idea of what journalism should be. As you know, in communist in a communist society, uh, the sole purpose of media is to serve the party, is to serve the idea of communism, and so they have sort of a uh, um, sort of carry that kind of mentality. To Taiwan and so they make uh, this kind of convergence model possible. They don't think there's nothing wrong as long as the uh, viewpoints uh, in the stories are in line with their ideology. So those are some of the major findings. Um, I also want to spend a little time about the uh, implications for journalists. One of them is that uh, uh, the question of whether this kind of dual roles uh, of being a journalist and a populations practitioner uh, become the norm is it a norm is it something that uh, journalists are prepared for or you know have they thought about what kind of alternative they should be doing um, so this is the question a lot of Taiwanese journalists are asking what should I do instead uh, if I cannot uh, if I no longer can work as independent impartial journalist in the uh, news organization, what should I do? And um, some of the seasoned um, well-known journalists actually have their jobs and they become independent freelancers. So they become their own brands. They are in charge of their own profits. They sell their copies to various news organizations and actually some of them say, it's not bad, actually I earn more money that way than working for a single uh, news organization. Another possible, well, this is some sort of related to the point I was trying to make. Uh, so they use uh, multiple platforms uh, to, to capitalize on their uh, content or footage. Another uh, interesting um, format that has just emerged recently is this web report uh, format. Basically, this is a model that uh, uh, investigative reporters submit their proposals and post them online and ask people to donate money to the project so that the uh, expense and cost can be covered. Um, I don't expect you to read Chinese but uh, I can show you uh, their site. Basically it's like this. So there are um, cases that are proposed and uh, it shows how much funding they have generated and uh, in this kind of case, they want to have sufficient and independent funding so they don't have to report their bosses. Okay, so this is sort of alternative model they have come up with and uh, I don't know whether it's going to be successful or not, but it's absolutely in experiment. Okay, so that's a sort of alternative model for this. Another um, set of implications I'd like to discuss with you is for populations practitioners. Um, one thing that one cannot help but wondering is whether their jobs are in danger because uh, a lot of the money and uh, uh, sort of uh, funding uh, go to news organizations. So job security could be evaded. You know? They thought that they can be on their job forever but uh, their jobs actually are taken by news media. And also another implication is that uh, because news media are used to getting money for covering something, then it's harder for the populations, practitioners to really communicate with news reporters, hey, this is is a topic that's worth investigating, this is a topic worth uh, covering without giving them money, they probably say, show me the money first, right? So this is probably another implication for population practice. And another point that is relevant here is whether money will go to news media more than to uh, traditional outlets that are good at uh, doing uh, conventional campaigns. Okay, so very quickly I'm going to talk about some of the uh, conclusive points here. One is that uh, this uh, distorted, misleading news can hurt uh, not just uh, um, citizens, democracy, but also credibility of news media. Uh, That's probably the reason why some um, sort of uh, well-to-do media, uh, I mean financially sound media are reluctant to pursue this kind of uh, uh, this kind of model, but uh, those uh, news media that are in financial uh, crisis are far more likely to pursue this convergent model uh, the question then is whether the audience or readers can really differentiate whether this is convergent uh, outcomes or not and. Uh, no, nobody knows for sure whether the Taiwanese readers and uh, uh, audiences are able to do that. But uh, this is related to media literacy, and that's why I think that uh, this is the project worth pursuing. Uh, we need to educate uh, the audiences about this possibility that uh, the news they read and hear actually is uh, sponsored by uh, commercial or political entities also we need to think about whether this is a new business model uh, whether there can be a new business model for conscientious journalists when they do not want to work for this kind of a model is there any way that they can make a living and also uh, fulfill the traditional role of uh, you know, social responsibility and uh, provide uh, valuable news for the society so um, Some possibilities are out there, uh, but uh, they all call for some sort of a suitable uh, governmental intervention so that uh, the competition is not as fierce and the uh, work environment is not as bad as this. Um, They also say that uh, uh, media laws and policies uh, should uh, catch up, uh, because right now it's really insufficient. Uh, There are no teeth. They cannot do anything about the violations. So this is uh, something that uh, the government should be working on, but they also doubt whether the government or the Legislative Yuan uh, the Congress in Taiwan can actually fix that because the ruling party seems to benefit from this practice and they don't have too much incentive to really uh, change this kind of status quo. Another um, um, interesting thing was that uh, the news organizations uh, news professional organizations and public relations organizations are not really strong in Taiwan, so they don't have a very strong sense of ethical codes. Uh, Not every reporter belongs to the organization and they don't necessarily uh, embrace uh, whatever codes they are uh, right now, so this is another interesting um, difference uh, from the US. Also, another thing that is worth uh, paying attention to is this uh, very powerful uh, 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 public diplomacy that has been launched by China, uh, as we know that uh, it tries to take over the island for you know, several decades and so it's trying to use this kind of PR front to uh, change the public opinion of Taiwan and so this kind of force is very, very strong and is ongoing, uh, but uh, you know that uh, uh, this kind of uh, issue uh, is related to uh, media ownership uh, even though uh, all these uh, democratic countries uh, embrace press freedom uh, and uh, mostly they are uh, they allow the uh, media to be owned by uh, foreign entities but uh, we have to think about whether uh, this can actually hurt uh, the uh, domestic uh, you know, democratic process or not so um, this kind of practice can actually happen anywhere, uh, even in the U.S. You know, if, for example, uh, some major uh, capital firms uh, take over CBS or CNN, uh, and uh, some of the editors and reporters get slashed or replaced, it can actually happen here. Uh, so um, you know, scholars and the industry uh, people may want to pay attention to this uh, very intricate uh, but uh, alarming uh, scenario. So thank you very much for your time. This has been a Communication Research Podcast, a production of the Communication Research Center at Boston University. For more information about the Communication Research Center, please go to www.bu.edu slash com slash CRC. Thank you.